live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. All right, good morning. Welcome into the show. Bill Ryder with you. Belated Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah early. Happy New Year. This is what I wanted for Christmas. Lori and the kids said, Daddy, what do you want? And most dads, what do we want? Socks, some t-shirts, some good bourbon. Those things are nice. I just wanted to hang out with the guys on the Jim Rome show one more time in 2022. Oh, and I get rid on the board. Bring it on. Let's go, Eisenhower. I love it. And John Collins is here. When I saw the email this morning, I thought, the Atlanta Hawk? I bet he'll bring donuts for everybody because that guy makes $150 million. It's actually a different John Collins, but an incredibly nice man. Good to be here. What's up, clones? Happy New Year. Almost. Uh, We are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Whether you're looking to purchase a new home or refinance yours, Rocket Mortgage can help you get there for home loan solutions that fit your life. Rocket can. Everybody's mad at Southwest. I want to thank them. I got my parents for an extra three days because they couldn't get out of L.A. Wherever you are, however you're traveling, travel safe. Hope you can get home. We're going to make the next three hours fly by. Uh, You are now free to move about the country. You've gotten good at this. I mean, you've always been, what's the word, not shy. You've always been bold. But with John Collins, the non-NBA player, sitting next to you, you've got some skill. Yeah, keep it This is Ritz Christmas. What I wanted. Thank you. You're welcome. What I wanted for Christmas was to hang out on the Jim Rome show. What Ritz wanted was anyone that wasn't Jim so we could just push all the buttons every day. Uh, Brian McFadden's going to be on the show in about 30 or 40 minutes. Longtime former NFL player, Super Bowl champion, CBS Sports, college football, and NFL analyst. He'll break down uh, the upcoming college football playoff this weekend, and we'll talk some NFL. We'll visit with Tom Haberstroh, really talented NBA insider, guru, buddy of mine, back from the salad days when I was first on this show as a guest when I covered the Miami Heat back in that LeBron era. That's where I got to know Tom. Uh, Rick Neuhausel will be on the program, former longtime college football head coach, CBS Sports, college football analyst, and our buddy Will Brinson from CBS Sports will be on the show. Luka Doncic had a ridiculous, ridiculous night. 60-20 double-double. This guy is a machine, a historic evening, and all the talk and all the celebration. The guy's the MVP favorite again. He's so good. That's fine. That's great. Let's celebrate him. The right take, though, is the fact that that it's not the Lakers who are squandering LeBron. It's the Mavericks, more than any team in the NBA, who are squandering an all-time great superstar. We'll hit that probably in an hour. We'll talk a little Tua. We've got some news on that. He will not start this weekend. And maybe we'll get him some shifting, a a shifting era in about 15, 20 minutes. As always, clones, A, I know you're happy to have me here. I can feel the love emanating on social media at SportsWriter, Sports R-E-I-T-E-R. I'm looking at my, my, my Twitter account right now, and you get the little ats, right? 12, 15, 80, soon. I'm sure it's all love. And if you want to continue just your how happy you are that I'm here, SportsWriter, Sports R-E-I-T-E-R. Jim Rome at have a, or Rome, excuse me, at haveatake.com. JimRome.com, at Jim Rome, of course, on Twitter. And if you want to call us, 1-800-636-8686. John Collins, not... Not the NBA superstar. Superstar is a little strong, isn't it? I'm feeling generous as the holiday. John Collins, who plays in the NBA, uh, not that John Collins, but a John Collins will answer your phone calls. All right, let's start here. Uh, The odds dropped yesterday on the betting favorite in Vegas 
on who will take over the absolute dumpster fire, the the horrifying reality that is this Denver Broncos top job as the head coach. And, and what a disaster they've been. And it's Sean Payton at four to one. Sean Payton four to one, Dan Quinn at five to one, Jim Caldwell at six to one, and then a host of coordinators and random names and all the way down to guys like Peyton Manning who will not take that gig. Sean Payton is the prize. Sean Payton, who's chilling, enjoying life, not having to do much, can make a bunch of money in TV, is the guy the Broncos want. But let's rewind to how we got here and talk a little bit about why the Broncos, and beyond just Russell Wilson being completely broken, washed, uh, an absolute shadow of a shadow of what he used to be, why the Broncos have set themselves up for a long-time failure and, and why... Peyton shouldn't go anywhere near this job unless he just wants the money and enjoys skiing and wants to be in Denver. He wants to pull in 15 or 16 million a year. That's fine. That organization is destined to lose for a really long time. And there's a there's a stew of ingredients here. There's a there's a combination of factors that have taken the Broncos from one of those teams that were a quarterback away, even from what we thought was, and it's turning out to be a relatively difficult AFC West. We thought the Broncos were a quarterback away from competing, and they are now destined to lose for two or three or four years. Let's start with how they got Russell Wilson. And I think the Kansas City Chiefs don't get enough credit for this. When you have a division that is dominated by a team, and you look out as an opposing GM, owner, CEO, head coach, whoever's making the decisions— and you see a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, and you think Andy Reid's going to stick around, and you know Patrick Mahomes is going to be probably the dominant quarterback in the game, if he's healthy, maybe for a decade. And you look at four consecutive, not AFC West championships, not just that, four consecutive AFC championship games. A couple Super Bowl appearances and a win for Kansas City, and you're the Broncos, you get desperate. You have to make a bold move. And so you miss the signs that the quarterback you want, the guy in the upper Northwest, Russell Wilson, is washed and broken. And you hand him what has to be the worst contract in NFL history. It has to be. It has to be. Five years, $242 million, $161 million guaranteed, five draft picks, including a first-round pick that is going to probably be top three this upcoming year. You hire a Nathaniel Can-Hackett, a brutal head coach. And I actually, I almost feel bad for the guy. Because nobody wants to see people humiliate themselves publicly. Clones, this is your chance for all the jokes at SportsWriter, Sports, R-E-I-T-E-R, if you're watching on CBS Sports Network. But that guy was so over his head. So you've got the desperation, I get it, to keep up with the Kansas City Chiefs. And I probably should give some credit to the Chargers, too, who are on track to maybe win 11 games this year and salvage a season in which they had massive expectations. And to be fair to that team, Justin Herbert, for a big chunk of the year, had, had a rib injury that is incredibly painful. It was too long. I was like, where did Rick go? Did Rick go to sleep? Rick sleeps when Jim's not here. He just takes, just takes naps. Sometimes on the board, not on accident. You bring in a quarterback who it turns out in Russell Wilson is a total disaster, 12 what? 12 touchdown passes this year, almost 10 interceptions, completing 60% of his passes. But beyond that, he's washed. There are reports of an attitude problem. He's aloof. He's weird. So you fire Nathaniel Canhackett. Sure, why not? You place the blame 
by leaking things to the media, and just the obvious that Russell Wilson's a disaster, sure. But what's the common thread here? Who's the person that panicked? Who's the person that gave Russell Wilson this job? Who's the person that got absolutely robbed by Pete Carroll and company? It's the GM. It's George Payton. It's a guy who yesterday in a press conference, the CEO found out that the new head coach is going to report to the owner slash CEO, what's the guy's name, Greg Penner. Let that sink in for a second. The Broncos hired the wrong GM, who hired the wrong head coach, who had to coach a quarterback who now is the holder of the worst contract in NFL history. And the solution isn't to fire the GM who made the mistake, isn't to start over and find somebody who can build the right team, isn't to have some kind of responsibility assigned to somebody else to try and fix what, I get it, is a massive problem. You cannot cut Russell Wilson. As Ritt told me this morning, quoting someone else, you can't even field a team if you do that. No, you roll out the GM, who's an absolute disaster, who's every bit the problem here, as Nathaniel can't hack it, but it's hard to make a, you know, a wordplay off of his name. It's easier to blame Russell Wilson because every single week we see that guy roll out there and be an absolute embarrassment to the game and the position and then seem aloof and weird and not get it after games, post-game press conferences in the locker room. But it's the GM who made the decision. And the fact the Broncos don't have a plan, the fact that the Broncos aren't going to go out there and try to find somebody else, the fact they're going to just try to throw money at Sean Payton, who should stay away from this job for as long as... You want to coach in the National Football League and there aren't the right openings this upcoming year, there may not be, just wait, make money on TV, wait till a year from now. Because this job is about fixing Russell Wilson. I want you to listen to what it sounds like when a guy, when a football guy, and this dude came, talk about George Payton, the, um, the GM there, came from the Vikings, who, by the way, didn't exactly set the world on fire. He was an executive there. They, hot, they, they went out and got Kirk Cousins for that three-year whatever it was, $68, $70 million deal, extended him. I know the Vikings are good on paper. I know they win games. I know they made a big comeback a week and a half ago against the Colts. They're not going to win anything. I mean, what has Peyton done, the GM, other than be part of a front office that went and got the only quarterback that was available in Kirk Cousins, and it's worked for now. It won't because the guy can't win a postseason game, and he won't. And then he goes to Denver, and he's like, oh, that worked. If we're going to throw $70 million at Kirk Cousins, who's never won a playoff game, why don't we just throw $250 million at Russell Wilson? Never mind the fact that it turns out physically he's 80 years old. Never mind that he has the mentality of a 13-year-old boy when it comes to leading the locker room. That guy, George Payton, yesterday, instead of coming to the microphone and sounding like he's got some control, you can hear the fear in his voice and his inability to give you any kind of a sensible plan for the mistakes that he's made. This isn't just about the coaching. This isn't just about Nathaniel. This isn't about the entire football operation. This is about the personnel, the players, the staff, everyone involved with our football team. It has to be better across the board. I have to be better. Now, we have a lot of work to do, and as I told the players and our staff uh, yesterday, we're all being evaluated. It is about one guy. Now, it's about that dude. There are supposed to be consequences in sports. Now, for Russell Wilson, there, there won't be any because he's got so much money tied up in that contract. It's such a brutal reality that he's not going anywhere. But that guy saying it's not about Nathaniel Hackett, yeah, you're right. It's about the guy that hired him. It's not just about Russ. No, it's about the guy that gave him the money and gave him the contract.
whoever gets this next job as the head coach of the Broncos, and, and Sean Payton, wherever you are, whatever you're thinking, whatever you're doing, don't do it. The NFL every year is full of surprises. Every single season, there are a team or two who are markedly better than we thought. And there are always teams that are worse. There are always jobs that open up you don't expect. The Broncos' job is the worst job in the National Football League. Give me any other job in the NFL. Give me the commander's job, especially with that owner going away eventually and getting really rich. Get, and again, some of these jobs aren't open. Give me that Bears job, even though as a Bears fan, and Eisenhower knows what I'm talking about, they're destined to never win anything. Give me a job having to coach Aaron, I'm going to throw under the bus, Rodgers, whatever. Sorry, Green Bay, you know it's true. The guy's talented, though. The Broncos' People job. like to say a lot of bulls. I'm one of them, pal. What's up, A-Rod? I'm a Bears fan, though. What, what is it? You own us? Yeah, you own me, too. I get it. That's cool. We'll hear from him later. Actually, Aaron Rodgers has some, I thought, really smart words on Tua. Yeah, I know. I know, bro. The Broncos' job is the worst job in the NFL because Russell Wilson is not going anywhere and because the solution by the guy that now owns the Broncos is to just take the GM who created these problems and not have the coach report to him. Do you think a CEO, business person, owner is equipped to deal with football operations, to have a head coach report to him, to fix the problem himself? No. Anytime you see an owner refuse to delegate or own his own mistakes in hiring George Payton, you know that place is going to be a disaster for the long term. Stay away from the Denver Broncos. They ain't going to work. They ain't going to be fixed. It's not going to happen. If you got to take 1-800-636-8686. I mean, give me a break on, on lack of accountability. Literally, this guy hired the worst head coach in memory in Nathaniel Can't Hack It. The guy didn't even make it a full season. And this GM also went out and gave Russell Wilson a contract that destroys the Broncos' ability to be competitive for the next, after this season, four years. Unless somehow Russ can be fixed. That guy, and there's nothing in the cupboard. The draft picks are gone. Players, picks, a top three pick at this rate probably that goes to Seattle. The Broncos are a disaster. And Sean Payton should either take a different job or, I know patience is hard, wait a year. I know you want to coach. I know you want to get out there. I know you're churning to do it again. Why coach a Broncos team that's going to get its stain of incompetence and ugliness all over you? That'll damage your reputation. And, and let me say this last warning before we, we move on to, to Sean Payton. Not a shot. Not a shot at Sean Payton. Just a reality. There's a lot of coaches, including some who are markedly better historically than Sean Payton, who have had one all-time great quarterback, have done great things with that quarterback, had a great culture, built a great system, knew what they were doing, and that QB left, and things were different. Drew Brees was always there as a handicap for Sean Payton when Sean Payton won. And if Sean Payton thinks he can go and take a disaster of a quarterback who's 80 years old physically and 13 years old emotionally in that locker room, who commands no respect off the field and can't play on the field, and turn them into a winner, you might want to look over to New England and a guy named Bill Belichick, who was, by all accounts, the greatest head coach in NFL history, and Brady left, and now and he's a hell of a coach. But he's a hell of a coach to try to get to 500 and reclaim just scraps of respectability. Don't do it, Sean Payton. 
Don't do it to anybody that's got a future coaching in the National Football League. You're a retread. You can't get another job. Take the job. Take the money. Good luck. The Broncos are the worst job in football, and they're going to be for a long time. No, no, no. Yeah. Bill Ryder with you filling in for uh, Jim here on the Jim Rome Show. Always an honor. Great to be back. 1-800-636-8686. Rome at haveatake.com. JimRome.com. At Jim Rome. Hit me up with all the love. I can't read him right now, but I know it's like, hey, we're so glad you're here. Uh, sports writer, sports, R-E-I-T-E-R. I, I want to I use this Russell Wilson conversation before we get to Bryant McFadden in 20 minutes to talk about Russ is the most painful, pointed, the exclamation point behind a trend that is reshaping the National Football League. And we'll hit that next year in a moment on CBS Sports Radio. So you're hanging out with some friends and you're putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. And as the evening comes to an end, people start to head out and you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You're good. You can make it. It's not that big of a deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill somebody. Everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic. They're often deadly. However, that still does not stop everybody from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. This is why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads in order to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over, paid for by NHTSA. Right, welcome back into the show. Bill Ryder with you. Good morning or good afternoon, depending where you're listening. Happy holidays. Thanks for being here. Uh, when I do my show in the mornings, we have this guy on all the time. Longtime former NFL player, has an incredible podcast amazing NFL and college football analyst. Check him out on CBS Sports, CBS Sports HQ. He is the one and only Bryant McFadden. Mr. McFadden, good morning. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, buddy. Happy holidays to you, Bill. How you doing? Are you staying Are you staying warm? Are you Are you one of the few places in America that didn't turn into the Arctic in the last week? No, nah, it's starting to warm up a little bit now. I'm currently in Atlanta. Uh, but this past weekend, man, it was super cold. But now it's starting to warm up and feel a little normal. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it for you and the rest of the country. Let's, um... Let's hit some college football before I get pick your brain on a couple NFL topics. Let's just let's start with the big games and let's start with um, with Michigan TCU this weekend. What a, I know there's a lot of folks who doubt TCU's ability to compete with with these teams. How do you see this game going, and to what degree do you think TCU can at least be competitive against a really really good football team? Yeah, I think it's going to be an entertaining game. The reason why I say that, TCU has been one of the more battle-tested teams in college football throughout the entire season. You know, they had that blemish in the Big 12 championship game against Kansas State. But if you look at their, their, their the structure, the consistency in which they play with throughout the year, you know, they found ways to win ball games. They can score points with the best of them. And I like their chances in being able to score points against a very, very stout defensive unit from Michigan because they got a guy in Max Duggan who I believe will play on Sunday to some degree. He has outstanding skill position players surrounding him, a running game that has been extremely consistent as well. So they're going to make things a little difficult for Michigan based on what Michigan has seen throughout the course of their year. When you look at Michigan's defensively on the defensive side, outside of Ohio State, who they dominated, by the way, they didn't really play against a lot of explosive-like offenses. So that could be a challenge for Michigan. And then when you factor in and look at Michigan on the offensive end, 
not having Blake Quorum clearly is going to be a loss, but they still can run the football against the best of them. So the battle in the trenches is going to be extremely important for TCU on the defensive side, trying to get the timely stops they would need to against J.J. McCarthy, who has been playing some real good football. I mean, the month of November, I think J.J. McCarthy was playing some of the best football we've seen from him throughout the entire season. So will that continue in the Fiesta Bowl? We have to wait and see. But, Bill, I think this is going to be an entertaining game. Brian McFadden here on the Jim Rome Show. Bill Ryder filling in for, for Jim. Brian, when you're, you played, obviously, at a very high level in college and in the NFL, for, for a team like TCU, where you've won a lot of games and, and you've shown, as you noted, your, your medal, but you've had to show that because you've had to have a lot of comebacks, maybe against competition that some of these other teams would, would dominate, does that build up a reservoir of confidence or does it do the opposite? What is the impact when you start playing this level of football as a football team where you've had a lot of games, you've won, but you've had to come back and scrap at the end? It builds a level of confidence, and also, too, you know, you're battle-tested. You you faced a lot of adversity, and those are the teams that you have to be mindful of because they feel like they're never out of it. You know, it's similar to what we're seeing in NFL, you know, with the Minnesota Vikings, who I call the cardiac Vikes because they're never out of it. And that has kind of been the mindset for TCU, the Horn Frogs, you know, an outstanding season. But when teams got up on them, you got to play for four quarters. And I think for TCU standpoint, number one, Bill, they're coming into this situation with no expectations. Let's keep it real. When you look at the top four teams in the, in the playoffs currently, if you had to rank the teams from one through four, I think the consensus would have TCU number four. So when you factor in no expectation for TCU, they understand their back is against the wall. No one believes in them outside of the people that's in their building, in their facilities. So you gotta go out and play relaxed football. Brian, if I, if I said to you that I was going to put a little money down and, and I was looking for your advice, would you believe in TCU enough to, to win this football game? Or, or do you still think Michigan and that offense and what, what Jim Harbaugh has built is going to be too much? I mean, I think they have a fighting chance. I'll say this, Bill. I think TCU has a better chance in beating Michigan than Ohio State has in beating Georgia. I love that and, answer. And, and the reason why I feel that way, you know, I highlighted Max Duggan, a guy who had an invitation to the Heisman. Granted, he didn't win, but this man put up phenomenal numbers. I like what he has surrounded him offensively, the structure, the scheme, everything fits what he does well. And defensively, they just got to be an opportunistic group. So, yeah, I, I like their chances. I, I don't feel like they don't have a shot in this ball game against Michigan. But like I said, I like their chances better to beat Michigan than Ohio State beating Georgia. Two-time Super Bowl champion Brian McFadden here on the show. Uh, Brian, we, this isn't a secret, right? We live in a time, especially if you're a head coach, where there's not a lot of patience. You don't get a lot of time. Even though in college football, and I guess it's a little different now with the transfer portal, but it takes – it's not normally an overnight process to get your, your players in. We have seen before Jim Harbaugh's success, Dabo kind of under the radar be able to build Clemson with some patience and some time when he first took over that job a long time ago. And now we've seen Jim Harbaugh, who a lot of Michigan fans and maybe some radio hosts like me thought needed to leave a few years ago, who obviously has gotten it figured out. Is the Harbaugh example for you a reminder? Is it a, is it a lesson that ADs need to be more patient with their guys? that they hire to run these programs, or is he just an exception to a, to a rule because of who he happens to be? I think he's an exception to that rule, unwritten rule on who he is. And also, too, he went to Michigan, right? So he has a lot of ties to that program. He played there. He's heavily invested to the program. They went out 
and made sure they locked him up when he was available to be the head coach. So he has a different situation than some other coaches that don't have that personal tie to the university they're coaching at. Yeah, so so you won't see this throughout college football in regards to uh, the, the leverage that Harbaugh had in regards to them being patient. But let's keep it real, too, Bill. It wasn't like they were some bad years where they were winning three games here, four games here. It wasn't like he was, you know, putting up Scott Frost-like numbers that Scott Frost gave Nebraska that led to him still being able to be around, even though he wasn't reaching the national championship-like expectations. So, yeah, he, he he's a rare individual in regards to that unwritten rule. Other college coaches might not have the same leverage and cushion to be able to not meet the mark of expectations and still be in the seat where their seat is not hot. Man, that Scott Frost uh, comparison at Nebraska is a great one. Brian McFadden here on the Jim Rome Show. I'm Bill Ryder filling in for, for Jim. Uh, you, you noted, Brian, that, that you think it's a lot less likely that Ohio State beats Georgia. I think almost everyone in America outside of Columbus and that area, where my wife is from, by the way, uh, greater Ohio, uh, think that Georgia are, are going to dominate this game and are by far of these four teams the most dangerous, the most potent, the, the, the most talented. If there's going to be an upset, and we've seen these things before, if Ohio State's going to surprise most of us, what does that look like over the weekend? Well, number one, C.J. Stroud has to be the best quarterback on the football field by a landslide. Number two, they can't have any mistakes that give Stetson Bennett's offense extra possessions, and they got to make Stetson Bennett look like a former walk-on. They got to make him – Ohio State's defense got to make things difficult for Stetson Bennett. This is a guy who's been pretty comfortable throughout this year, and because of that he's been super consistent, a big-time playmaker for uh, UGA's offense. But you got to find a way to rattle the quarterback. He's the head of the snake. If you can cut the head off the snake off, the snake was not going anywhere. They go where Stetson Bennett takes them. So if you can force him in difficult situations, Bill, turnovers, you know, inaccurate throws, then you have a shot. But for Ohio State, C.J. Stroud has to look like a, a, a player on the field that is the best player between both teams. Brian McFadden. It's been a really exciting college football year, and there were a lot of avenues for different teams to have, to have gotten in. But obviously the playoff is going to expand. For you and how this season went and knowing what's coming, do you prefer the four-team college football playoff, or are you excited about, do you look forward to more teams being a part of this conversation the next, when we talk in a, in a few years? I hate the expansion. <laughs> I hate it, Bill. Like, I love four if you wanted to add two more teams, then that is where I draw the line in regards to seeing extra teams. But four is best. Let's keep it real. You know, Bill, since the playoffs have been in existence, it's safe to say the four best teams have made it, and the best team has won. It's, it's safe to say that if you look at, historically speaking, since the playoffs has been, since the playoffs have been a thing, the four teams – that have made it to the playoffs, I think we all would agree and say, you know what, they were the four most deserving teams. The team that was walked away as a champion, I think we all would mostly agree and say, that was the best team in college football. So why are we diluting the product? Why? Just to see the same team win a championship. And I understand at any given day, anything can happen. The ball can bounce a different direction for another team to win. But let's keep it real. When you add different teams into this pot, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. But we all know why, Bill. It's all about money. It's always it's all about, about money. money because no one has an issue with the product that we have currently watched. 
year in and year out since the playoffs have been a thing. If we had issues with what we've seen in regards to the product, then that's one thing. But let's keep it real, Bill. Think about it, Bill. Have you had an issue with what you've seen in college football in regards to the playoffs since it's been in existence? So I'll say this. I haven't, but I, I do. I wish that there were – I wish every major conference were represented. Like, I do get frustrated. I'm not even a – I'm not even a West Coast guy by birth, but it does frustrate me that Pac-12 is never represented, ever. It, it, like well, a whole but, swath but of America. Bill, but, Bill, let's keep it real. All right. In the beginning of the season, yeah, I, know, August, I know where you're going. Every team that has an opportunity to get to the playoffs know what they have to do to get to the playoffs. Every team, they know exactly what – it's not like, well, we don't know, and then they throw something at us, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. You know exactly what you're supposed to do to get to the playoffs. And that has been the consent – that has been the written rule. So for the Pac-12 being left out of the playoffs, the only reason they left out of the playoffs is because they wanted to be left out of the playoffs. You know exactly what you got. Every team in the Pac-12 knows the same can go for Big Big 12, TCU, found a way to get into the playoffs. They found a way this year. You know what you have to do. Brian McFadden crushing it here on the show. Brian, I would I would keep going with you, but we're out of time because you were so good. You filled it up. I appreciate you. Happy holidays. Thank you for making time. What is hopefully, a, a, I guess, not really a down week for you, but it is a cold week. Uh, thank you so much, buddy, for, for being on the Jim Rome Show. Uh, thank you for having me. All right, man. Brian McFadden on the show. I get it. I absolutely understand where he's coming from. And, and he's not wrong. The best teams are in. But I'm from Iowa, and my family are Hawkeye fans. And while it's a, a long shot, I would love the opportunity and the possibility to watch football games at the end of the year for the Iowa Hawkeyes that might might mean something in an expanded playoff. And I was going to use Missouri as an example because I went, I went to Mizzou, but they're a total disaster, and they're never going to even come close to that. So let's just focus on some of these other programs. Give me an Oregon. Give me a USC. Give me a UCLA playing meaningful games at the end of the year. I'll just close it on this. We're going to run out of time, and then we'll, we'll get to a little Luka Doncic. The sport is better, I think. College ball is better where the entire country and the fans that are there, the entirety of America, are invested in their conference and some of their teams up until the end of the year. But I hear Brian saying. All right, uh, Luka Dodgers had an amazing game yesterday. A 60-20-10 triple-double. It's stupid. It's insane. Shouldn't be possible. And here's the deal. It underscores a huge problem in Dallas. We'll get to that next year on the Jim Rum Show. <laughs> Jay Woods of OmegaTaxCredits.com is with me now. You've actually started a new operation, a new wing, Omega Funding Solutions. Exactly what is that and how does that work? You file an amended payroll tax return with the IRS and the IRS is backed up. You know, they were hit by COVID too. They had the pandemic to deal with. So it's taking them anywhere from six months to a year to process these refunds. So we came out with a solution where we can help you get access to that cash earlier in as as little as two weeks. See if you qualify for an ERC tax refund from the IRS, Omega Tax Credits.com. All right, welcome back into the Jim Rome Show. Happy holidays. Bill Ryder filling in for Jim just today. Jim back next week. 1-800-636-8686. Rome at haveatake.com. At Jim Rome, JimRome.com. You can hit me up, Sports Writer, Sports R-E-I-T-E-R. Thank you for listening on CBS Sports Radio, for watching on CBS Sports Network, and you can catch me most days, starting next week again, on CBS Sports Radio from 10 a.m. to noon, Monday to Friday, 
on the show Rider Than You. I was just talking about Luka Doncic and what a ridiculous performance. What an amazing night he had. And so I love the timing of this because Tom Haberstroh from Meadowlark does a number of podcasts, including the Basketball Illuminati podcast. And a guy that I've known for, oh my God, I guess more than 10 years, is joining me right now on the program. Mr. Haberstroh, happy holidays, buddy. What's going on, man? Happy holidays. So let's um let's start with uh with Mr. Doncic. What um put in perspective for, for, for those listening if you can, how impressive a 60-20-10 triple double is. I mean, this guy uh, up until a couple of weeks ago had only one 50-point performance in his career and now he's got a couple of them including a 60-point performance. We just, I mean, to get 60 points in general is incredibly, incredibly unheard of. And yet, not only did he get 60 points, he had 10 assists. And what we don't see in that box score is how many of those 10 assists actually accounted for three-pointers. And when you look at the actual box score, you see the 60 and 10, and you say, oh, that's pretty cool. But what if you saw in the box score 60 and 25? Because that's how many points, 25 points, those assists led to in that game. So he had five three-pointers that he created through his assists, and he had 60 points on his own, which means, Bill Ryder, that 85 of the team's 111 points while he was on the floor in last night's game was created by Luka. 60 from his own points, own scoring, and then 25 of his assists. I mean, it's just unbelievable how much he was able to create just single-handedly with his powers with the basketball and I think it was Ethan Sherwood Strauss my buddy who used to work with me at ESPN he coined this this line that I just always think about when I watch Luca. he said and I think it was in reference to Draymond Green or Nikola Jokic he said that fat players are just potential in disguise. Fat is just potential <laughs> in disguise. Because Luka Doncic is 60-21 rebounds, 21 rebounds, by the way, 60-21-10, and 10, and he's not really in shape yet. And that's the scary thing for me, is when we talk about his ceiling, or we talk about what he did last night, there's almost another level that he can get to, and he's a young player in, in this league, but he's also someone who's just basically getting by on, like, uh, like he still has baby fat. And so that's what I think is so impressive about Luka Doncic is that he's able to do this single-handedly willing this team to a victory um, with a 60-21-10 line. And I kind of feel like that's not even his best. We're, we have a lot more Luka Doncic to see in his career, and that is just the beginning. Uh, Tom Haberstroh giving us NBA wisdom and filling me with self-esteem because I wrote down fat is potential in disguise, and I'm going to tell myself that every morning when I look in the mirror, <laughs> Tom. That's my thing. Yes, it is. Hell yes, it is. Um, so, and this is not a shot at anybody. I just, we are such captains of the moment, right? We're, we're focusing on what's going on. It's hard to sort of see the broader picture when someone like Luca does something like he did last night, and he is now the betting favorite to be the MVP. But you know, as a voter, that these things can shift, and it's a long season. When you look out at, at the field and you look out at some of the, the futures that are out there, are, are there a cluster of guys that you think are in contention? Do you feel like it's a it's a couple guys in this race? Do you see any value? How do you size up 
the MVP vote as somebody who actually gets to vote for this award and thinks about it year-round? Yeah, I think someone who's a dark horse right now, Kevin Durant, is such a dark horse for this award. He's number six on the Basketball Reference NBA MVP award tracker, which is basically uh, ha- they, they, they do an algorithm based on voting totals in the past and what voters tend to value. And Kevin Durant's up there uh, as one of the top contenders. But I think now what we, we're seeing when they're healthy, the Nets are healthy, Kevin Durant just takes his team to another level. Yes, Ben Simmons is back. Kyrie Irving is back. But we just don't realize a lot of times because we're, we're kind of bored by Kevin Durant on some level in the sense that like he's been such a good metronome for all these years. But he's averaging 30 points per game this season on 56% shooting and 93% at the free throw line. And he gets to the line a whole bunch. The Brooklyn Nets right now, they're a couple games out of first place in the Eastern Conference. And if they get that top seed in the East, I think you're going to see those odds shift dramatically in Kevin Durant's uh, favor. And they've beaten some good teams here on this stretch, winning 13 of the last 14 games. And here's the stat that is so amazing to me that I discovered this morning, Bill, and I, I want to bring it to you real quick, is that Kevin Durant's team, the Brooklyn Nets, are first in blocks per game. We tend to not think about this with the Brooklyn Nets, but they have the most blocks per game in the NBA. And they have the, the fewest blocks allowed in the NBA, meaning they're really hard to block. And I looked at this 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 statistic, net blocks, in terms of how many times are you blocked as a team and how many times – do you block the opponent? And the Brooklyn Nets are first in the NBA in net blocks. And actually, if you look in the NBA history, five of the top 10 teams in NBA history in net blocks all had Kevin Durant on the team. Think about that. Wow. Five of the 10 best teams in NBA history in this category, all populated by Kevin Durant. He's so good. Um, offensively, he's unblockable offensively, but he's also a seven foot shooting guard. So you just have that added for the Brooklyn Nets. And I think he just doesn't get enough credit for what he does to this organization. Uh, Tom Haverstrow, national NBA writer, insider, analyst for Meadowlark here on the Jim Rome Show. I'm Bill Ryder filling in for, for Jim. Tom, when you look at the Golden State Warriors and, and how dominant that starting five is, when that starting five is healthy on the floor together, how bad they are on the road and at their record. Do you see a team you would put money on? Do you like their chances long-term? Do you feel like this isn't the year? How do you size up the Warriors as we get ready for for the home stretch after the new year? Yeah, I'm a little worried about their health. Um, You know, when you mentioned Steph Curry, yeah, it's not that just that. It's Andrew Wiggins who's been out for a long stretch with a groin injury. Draymond Green is getting up there in age. And, of course, Klay Thompson coming back from two back-to-back unheard-of injuries, torn ACL and torn Achilles. We, you know, that's a, one of those things is a career ender for most players. Having both of them, we saw DeMarcus Cousins still not back in the league. Um, Clay Thompson's health, Steph Curry's health, uh, Andrew Wiggins, all these players I'm a little nervous about, but you, you, you mentioned it. When those five guys are playing on the floor, I don't put any team above them in the Western Conference. If they're healthy, to me, they're the favorite, and they should be the favorite considering they're the reigning NBA champions. But when those five guys are healthy, there's just a not, not a tier that they have any company in the Western Conference. Yeah, Denver's winning the West right now on top of the standings and New Orleans and Memphis right behind. 
but I just don't see a team as complete as a fully healthy Golden State roster. So I think if you're looking at uh, futures right now, I would I would very much like to put a little bit of um, a little bit of scratch on the Golden State Warriors title odds simply because of that ceiling. No team has a higher ceiling than the Golden State Warriors when they have their five guys healthy. I think that, um, while I don't think they should be the favorites coming out of the Western Conference considering those injuries, I'd probably put um, Memphis and Denver uh, and the Clippers in another category with, with Phoenix in there. I think the Golden State Warriors might have the best value. Tom, I think we all agree, and correct me if you, if you see it otherwise, I think we all agree that Boston and Milwaukee are clearly capable of making a, a really deep run. If they come out of the East, I don't think anyone would be surprised. Do you include Brooklyn? Do you include Philadelphia? Do you include even Cleveland in, in that grouping? How, how many teams for you do you think have a reasonable chance when we get to April and the playoffs begin of coming out of the Eastern Conference? All healthy. I think it's two teams. I think it's Boston and Milwaukee, and I'll tell you why. They play both ends of the floor. Um, Boston struggled to you know, play that level that they had under Ime Adoka last year, uh, but now with Robert Williams III back and Marcus Smart, I think you're going to be able to see Boston Celtics bring it on both ends of the floor. I, I have no worries about Giannis and that team. They need Chris Middleton back, of course, but I just don't see it on both ends of the floor for the Brooklyn Nets. I mentioned that they're they're uh, leading the league in blocks per game, but in terms of just getting Ben Simmons' consistent effort on both ends of the floor in the playoffs, I just I don't have any faith. I do not have any faith in them, and I really am losing faith with James Harden with all these playoff exits early in the playoffs. I don't have much faith in them. So I actually I actually agree with you. Milwaukee and Boston, to me, are head and shoulders above the rest of the Eastern Conference when it comes to playoff time. Regular season, as Draymond Green likes to say, there's 82-game players and there's 16-win players in the postseason. This is, to me, the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks are are full of 16-win players, 16 wins to win a championship. They don't really care too much about the regular season. Those other teams, I think they like the, the regular season atmosphere. They can get by on talent alone. But in the playoffs, it's a whole different ballgame. All right, Tom Haversho, I, I met you. I had the pleasure to get to know you and um, and be familiar for the first time with the, the excellent quality of your work a long time ago in LeBron's first year in Miami. So let me throw a difficult LeBron, or difficult, but a hard-to-answer LeBron question at you since we don't know all the variables here. But knowing what you know, knowing his age, guessing where you think he's going to be when he's done with the Lakers, what is the furthest you think we'll see LeBron James in a, in a postseason again? Oh, wow. Know, that right? is it's a tough one. That is, I mean, that's such a great question because, I mean, what does LeBron James look like as a role player? You know, like, could he play till he's 42, 43, 45, you know, when he's playing like 25 minutes a game? Um, I think LeBron James still has another finals run in him. Maybe not as the alpha, not maybe not as the number one, but I could totally see him going back to Cleveland and having those young players develop a, just another year under their belt and, and add LeBron James to the mix. I think they have a real potential to make a postseason run next year if he goes over there uh, to join the Cleveland Cavaliers with his son, Bronny James. That would be such a cool story. And I think he has enough left in the tank to make a run in the Eastern Conference like he's done so many times before. Um, so I do think he has another finals run in him. Whether he can win one, I just don't know. Uh, if they met next year, the Warriors and Cleveland with LeBron James there, 
Uh, what a story that would be. I just would not be able to put all my marbles on the Cleveland side in that matchup. I just think <laughs> so highly of what they do with the Golden State Warriors. Tom, if I could, to your point, if I could get, and I probably can't, a, a future bet on, on someday LeBron James winning sixth man of the year, I think I would put the money down on the off chance he went sort of a Tim Duncan route but didn't start. Because I think you're right. I think he loves the game enough that he'll, I think he'll find a way to play and contribute for as long as he can. Uh, 100%. Um, you know, it's it's like Russell Westbrook. Like, can can LeBron James, you know, look at himself as a as a guy coming off the bench, or does he just say, you know what, I'm I'm a starter for the entire entirety of my career? I I don't know. I don't know if he's willing to take that ego um, hit in terms of what people would say if he was coming off the bench. But he's gonna have to entice that opportunity at some point here. Um, he's he's so good that like. Either role, he would be so dominant. Can you imagine, like, playing, like, the Charlotte Hornets on an off night and they're bringing, like, their ninth <laughs> guy off the bench and looking over and LeBron James is walking to the table? Like, oh, my God, it would be so devastating. But you know what? Uh, I think we, we will see a Tom Brady-esque finish to LeBron's career where he's going to be playing till I think he's going to be, like, 44, 45 because he's got two kids coming in the league down the pipeline. I think he wants to have as much fun as he can with those two guys. Tom, as always, buddy, I love the insight. Appreciate the time. Happy holidays. Thank you for being on, on the Jim Rome Show. You got it, Bill. Thanks for having me on, buddy. All right, pal. Uh, at Tom Haverstrow on Twitter, Meadowlark Media, Basketball Illuminati Podcast. Uh, a big fan of Tom's talented, talented dude. I got a question for you. Why is Old Trapper Beef Jerky like the best thing ever? Well, there is something to be said for a family business, which stands by quality and produces the world's finest beef jerky. Do not be fooled by other brands. All beef jerky is not the same. Make sure you choose Old Trapper, where you can actually see the quality right through their iconic Clearview packages. Every single bite of Old Trapper is tender, never tough, because they only use the best ingredients. From their lean strips of beef, seasoned with top quality spices to their real wood-fired smoke, Old Trapper delivers quality in every single bite and... Old Trapper Jerky comes in four mouth-watering flavors. Old Fashioned, which is classic beef jerky flavor. Tender, smoky, and delicious. You've got teriyaki with the yellow label, where Old Trapper turned the flavor down to 11. Hot and spicy, with a spice so nice you'll want to snack twice. Peppered, tender, seasoned beef covered in cracked pepper. And you can grab and go with a 4-ounce bag or load up with an 18-ounce bag. That way you've got enough for the entire team or fam or both. If you don't see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? All right, welcome back into the Jim Rome Show. Bill Ryder with you filling in for Jim. Happy holidays. Thanks for hanging out. I love Will Brinson. I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sing it from the rooftops. NFL guru, funny dude, great writer, poker player. Used to see him sometimes during uh, the old pandemic late at night in the same card rooms I was I was on online. Does a five-day-a-week NFL podcast because he's a glutton for punishment and NFL excellence. Joins me right now on the show, Mr. Brinson. Happy holidays, pal. Yo, what's up, man? Happy holidays. Uh, happy soon to be New Year and uh, Merry Christmas and in and, and general happy holidays. Thanks for the uh, the kind introduction on these. Uh, you know, I always love always love being associated with seedy online carders. <laughs> well, when you win, it's a, it's less seedy. It's just you know, yeah, it's that's a true. That's true. Vehicle for your poker acumen. 
Um, I, I didn't know that you always lasted longer than me, but I noted it. I just want you to know that I paid attention. So I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw this breaking news that just came down. Yeah, uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, we can definitely talk about it. Yeah, this. So, so let's just start. Let's just start here. Um, Josh McDaniels, coach of the year, five of the next six seasons. I mean, how? how good? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, I think you know when you look at McDaniels and what's going on with the Raiders. I mean, it's obviously could have been a lot worse though, right? I mean, they were nosediving. People were talking about, you know, calling for his head, saying it's time you got to get rid of him. That was never going to happen because, you know, Mark Davis is, you know, he's the least rich. I think he's the least rich NFL owner. He's like a 500,000 heir, which is, or 500 millionaire, excuse me. No, he's not, a, he's not, he's like a half a billionaire, which is not a bad thing to be at all. I would kill to be half a billionaire. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's one of those things where, when you're, you know, if you're if you're um, the Walton family, right, and you just bought the Broncos, and you know, you know Nathaniel Hackett, and we can well, touch on him a little bit, but you know, he, you know, the, the rust stinks and the Broncos stink, and you're embarrassed in front of, um, you know, everyone in the world on Christmas Day, and the, and, you know, and probably hanging out with your family who happens to be the owner of the Rams because Stan Kroenke's married to a Walton who they own like 17 of the franchises in, in North America and, and Arsenal. It's insane. But, um, you know, they're, they're talking smack. Like, oh, look, whose team is better than yours? Uh, you know, across the, across the way, you know, across the table at family Christmas dinner. And, and I think that, like, that's one thing to fire him, right? You didn't, you weren't even the one who hired him. But you have, you know, Mark Davis just spit, you know, it's like on the hook for twenty. He's not going to be on the hook for twenty six million dollars for firing Josh McDaniels. Like that's just that's just too expensive. It's the first year, and now I think you're really going to see the Raiders sort of make a push this offseason. This this to me signals they don't. Similar to Matt Ryan being benched, they do not want Derek Carr to get hurt and be unable to pass the physical when he exits the season because then they can't get out of his contract as easily. And, and what they would like to do, I would guess, is go after Tom Brady. Or maybe Aaron Rodgers brings somebody. Aaron Rodgers, of course, the, the relationship with uh, Devontae Adams, and then Tom Brady, the relationship with uh, Josh McDaniels. I think that they'll try and bring one of those veteran quarterbacks who was on a struggling team uh, this year out to the desert uh, in this offseason. A little bit, what, what wouldn't be hard for Brady? He'll be a free agent. Rodgers a little bit trickier, but I, I think that's what this sort of signals to me is not that they want to see what Stidham's got, just that they're ready to move on from Derek Carr. I mean, Brinson, I get it. I get that the, the Tom Brady is 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 head and shoulders above everybody, including Russell Wilson. But isn't there a point where, where you just worry the return on investment on, on Tom Brady is going to blow up in your face? I mean, it's been – it's not been the world's best season. The dude is closer to 50 than he is 40. You, you, do you think he can go to Vegas and, and succeed at a high level? Do you, do you think he still has it in him? I think I – think- Putting him in, a, in that McDaniel's offense that he's so comfortable with would make it a little bit easier. You get in that alpha receiver in Devontae Adams, an offensive line that's a little bit healthier. Although, I mean, no, look, I mean, there's nothing, there's, you know, we, I don't want to sugarcoat it and say that, you know, Tom Brady changing scenery is magically going to make him better. He's, he's looked old. He's looked disengaged. I think, I think he came into this, I think he unretired expecting the possibility of, of maybe going to Miami or, or, you know, he, he thought he and Sean Payton were going to end up in Miami this offseason. Instead, he's, He's back with Tampa Bay. They're a struggling team. Tons of injuries. You know, uh, Byron, you know, Byron Leftwich and Brady not really cooking the way that they thought they would. Todd Bowles not nearly as aggressive as Bruce Arians, and I think that's contributed uh, in, in some degree to, to the Bucks' struggles. And, you know, he, poor clock management. You see, Brady just doesn't look like he's having fun. I mean, you know, the offensive line, you had uh, Ali Marpet retire. Ryan Jensen got hurt. The backup center got hurt. Um, you know, every they've been so dinged up. Worse as was hurt. Like they just haven't been able to protect him. He hadn't been able to get the ball downfield to Mike Evans. I think the, with the, maybe even the first 
was the first play of that game against Carolina when they're thirteen point favorites early in the year, and they you know hit Evans wide open. He drops it off his hands. It just it feels like so several things are just off, and I don't know, Bill, if it's necessarily like Brady stinks now because he's older. I think it's sort of a I don't really want to be here anymore, and so I do think a new a new locale might re, might rejuvenate him, especially if he's got a good offensive line and the offense he, he's familiar with, and then an elite wide receiver. And, you know, I mean, you think about it. you got Darren Waller who can be that you know up the seam tight end that that he needs in that offense, and, and he's been missing with Gronk gone. You've got Devontae Adams, just a, a you know a superstar wide receiver, Hunter Renfro on the outside or on the slot, excuse me. I mean, like it, it has the makings of something that would work really well with Brady. And I, I think I think I would I would guess that if I would if you're setting odds for next like Raiders quarterback to start week one of 2023, I think Tom Brady should be like minus 150. Man, Vegas would be fun with uh, Tom Brady around. Uh, Will Brinson here on the show, on the Jim Rome Show, on Bill Ryder filling in for, for Jim. Will, what is the market for and the reasonable ceiling for Derek Carr next season? Ooh, good question. I mean, he'll be – people will be intrigued in him. You know, he's a he's got a, a, a pretty nice floor in terms of his ability to perform at a – you know, as a veteran quarterback at a high high level, um, you know, to you know be malleable when it comes to various offenses, he'll he'll rent, he'll buy the house next door to you as a coach, so you you've got that going for you if that's if you're if you're desperate for a friend, uh, if you if you don't want your quarterback moving in next door to you, maybe Carr's not your guy. But I mean, like Carolina would be an easy landing spot for him, right? Um, wouldn't be crazy to see him go to San Francisco either, depending on what they do with. You know, I don't think Kyle Shanahan wants him moving next door to him, but I do think you know Derek Carr would be a a pretty good distributor in that in that San Francisco offense, depending on you know what they do with Trey Lance and Brock Purdy, and and, and then Jimmy Garoppolo is a free agent as well. Um, you know, New Orleans is you know feels very much in flux uh, that position. Miami, uh, you know, who knows with the Tua stuff, who knows how that's going to end up playing out. There's a lot of quarterback situations. Indianapolis, um, there's a lot of quarterback situations that are going to be you know very much. Um, you know, sort of in flux, and you know, Atlanta kind of needs somebody potentially. There, there are some landing spots out there. Uh, you know, this year may, more so than it felt like there would be six months ago. Uh, Will Brinson here on uh, here on the show. Will circling back to, to Brock Purdy and and the Niners. What what do you see in this team with, with Purdy? Are they for you still legitimate NFC contenders? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely NFC contenders. Super Bowl part's a little bit harder because you've got it. You're probably going to be facing one of the Bills, Chiefs, or Bengals. You know, all three of whom have so much firepower that even if the Niners, even with the Niners' great defense, they're going to have to score enough points to keep up. Now, I mean, having said that, you watch Brock Purdy in this offense, and he he plays the role. Sometimes, Bill, it's, you see these, the, the 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 way that a quarterback and a coach can mesh. Um, and you, you don't you don't see you don't necessarily see it coming. Um, I, I think that the Purdy and the um, you know the, the the Purdy and the and the Shanahan thing qualifies right because you have this situation where uh, you know a young uh, like another good example Baker Mayfield and Sean McVay right. I mean maybe it's just that sort of the way that it sort of clicks with these younger you know, with these quarterbacks and these coaches. Purdy in this offense is asked to be a distributor, a point guard. To now, he doesn't have to be a hero. He just has to make smart decisions and make them make them quickly, right? And get the ball out to the people he needs to do that. And he's been really good at processing that in the offense. He had a lot of time to learn it because he didn't have to jump in right away. Um, 
you know, half a season. He wasn't asked to do this in like week three because the you know Trey Lance went down and Jimmy Jimmy was there to save the day for a bit. Um, and and I think that the team believes in him and they buy in on him. And you, you can tell just the way that he carries himself. He doesn't feel like the last pick of the draft, a rookie quarterback, Mister Irrelevant. He feels like some veteran with a little with a little uh, panache, right? I mean, I I, I think it's. It's viable. It's just you know, no rookie quarterbacks ever won the Super Bowl, um, and you, you you think about the 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 gauntlet they'd have to go through. The NFC is definitely beatable. I mean, there's a lot of question marks over there, but the AFC, man, when you get to the Super Bowl, you're you're facing an elite quarterback on the other side, and you have to shut him down and match him point for point. Well, Brinson, let's let's uh, dive into that point a little bit because I have absolutely no confidence, zero confidence, not an ounce of confidence in Kirk Cousins when the playoffs roll around. I don't, and I have limited confidence in, in Dak Prescott. By record, by record, these are two of the best teams in the NFC. Do you want to, uh, from a gambling perspective or just a respect perspective, want to talk me into one or, or both of, of these teams? Well, I think that. Um, I don't have the odds in front of me on, on Minnesota. I mean, I, you know, I don't know that the number is that great when you when you get down to week 17 and we know where well, we know one, uh, one, two, three. We have an idea of four will be either Tampa Bay or Carolina. Five is Dallas, um, and then you know we're six likely the Giants and seven maybe the Packers, maybe you know maybe the Lions, maybe the Seahawks. I mean, you think about those teams, man. I mean, Minnesota can Minnesota can make the Super Bowl. I, I, I'm with you. I, I understand no confidence in in Kirk Cousins in prime time. Certainly no confidence. Now he could get a one o'clock. Just get him that one o'clock. First playoff <laughs> it would help, there, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I I I get it. I I totally get it. And they they're eleven and zero in one score games. That is, it's all it's it's. I would say it's literally impossible, but it happened. So, I mean, it's like highly improbable, very unlikely. And, and what you're going to see at some point, Bill, is some, some kind of regression there where they lose a couple of one-score games. Maybe it happens before the end of the season. Maybe it happens to end their season in the playoffs where they lose on a, on a close one finally. But regardless, I mean, I think that when you look at Philly with Jalen Hurts, and we don't know how – I think his injury is a little more up in the air than maybe people are talking about. Minnesota with all their one-score craziness. Um, you know, you have the 49ers – who have Brock Purdy? I'm buying in on, but at the same time, a rookie quarterback in the playoffs not an easy spot to be in. Uh, you know, nobody, the NFC, you know, the NFC South team isn't going to be great. Dallas has its flaws with Dak, and, and who's very up and down this year, and Mike McCarthy, who always coaches conservatively in the playoffs. And then you're talking about a team that's currently the Giants, right? I mean, they, you know, they they're playing above their head, they're playing above their skis, past their skis, and then you have a team that's currently seven and eight that's probably going to steal a spot over the Washington Commanders. I mean, that is a wide, wide open conference. So I think if I'm if I'm betting on the Vikings, I would Vikings would be my pick. And I've got some Vikings into best ball playoff stuff, some playoff like fantasy drafts basically. And, and then I think if if you wanted to try and get maybe a little frisky with it, you could do. Vikings do like an exact matchup in the Super Bowl or, or, or exact a box matchup where it's like Vikings uh, Chiefs, Vikings Bills, and Vikings Bengals. Bet all three of those and just hope that one of those three top tier teams coming out of the AFC will get a little better odds than just taking the Vikings to win the NFC. Uh, Will Brinson here on the show. Will, you just walked me through my nightmare as a Bears fan because the whole time <laughs> you were talking, all I was thinking was, oh my God, the Packers went out, they get some help, they get in. I went through this a decade ago. Why not? And look, I am far from the biggest Packers fan slash believer on the face of the earth. But if Green Bay gets in, and it's an if, why not Green Bay for all the reasons you just walked? There's all every team has serious vulnerabilities in the NFC playoff. Hey, Bill, 
that's that's why I got a hundred to one ticket on Green Bay to win the <laughs> NFC. Do you? From, from a couple of weeks ago. And then, oh, that's uh, great. My favorite my favorite one I got I got five bucks on um. A Packers Jaguars Super Bowl matchup at three thousand five hundred one, <laughs> which is like, which I mean, if that happens, I mean, what you know? Just a, don't, don't don't tell the bosses not to look for me in Arizona. Um, I'll be I'll be I'll be I'll be not at the workstation. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the I mean, I think I I think you're right. I mean, like, I mean, look, Packers, Packers do not even get in. Like, they can win out and still miss the playoffs. Uh, Washington has to lose once. They get uh, Cleveland and uh, excuse me. They get um, Cleveland this week, and then is it Dallas or Philly the final week? I think it's oh gosh, I think it's Dallas. But like we're we're seeing these you know these NFC East teams are going to rest their players anyway. Sorry, I don't have my schedule in front of me. I'm at my parents' house, but um, the uh, you know I, I just think like or New York has to lose out and the Packers have to win out. So it's still like it's actually like a very much an uphill battle for them to make the playoffs. But if they do. And even if they haven't looked great on either side of the ball, I mean, this is sort of my, my argument for Tom Brady, like making a run too, is, you know, they can look as Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady can look as bad as they have, and they could lose in the first round or even miss the playoffs in Rodgers' case, or, or Brady's case, actually, if the, the Panthers win this week and, and then win, 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 win week 18. But at the same time, if one of those guys gets in with this, like, you know, mishmash mall of a field in the NFC, like, you're talking about an elite all-time Hall of Fame quarterback on both teams. And, I mean, I don't, I don't say they can just flip the switch and be great, but we've seen teams do that where they make a run in the playoffs out of nowhere. And while you, you typically want to see them ramp up and be play a little bit better. I mean, the Packers are doing that. Maybe if the Buccaneers aren't, Buccaneers are at least doing it late in games. Packers are sort of kind of getting it going. I would not want, if I'm an NFC team, I do not want the Packers making the playoffs. Will Brinson killing it here on the show. Uh, Will, get back to your parents. Happy holidays. Appreciate you. And I will be rooting for Jags Packers just for you, buddy. <laughs> hey, uh, the, the, all the Blanton's on me if it's if Arizona, if Jags Packers. <laughs> Done. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, Bye-bye. brother. Thank you, buddy. Uh, at Will Brinson on Twitter. Will from CBS Sports, CBSSports.com, CBS Sports Network, CBS Sports HQ, CBS Sports, and whatever comes next. I love and appreciate his insight and perspective. So you're hanging out with some friends and you're putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. And as the evening comes to an end, people start to head out and you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You're good. You can make it. It's not that big of a deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill somebody. Everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic. They're often deadly. However, that still does not stop everybody from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. This is why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads in order to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. Good night!